Good morning. Just when you thought it was safe, I'm back. You had a five-week vacation from me, so hopefully your eyes and your ears have all healed since the last time. And uh, we're coming to the uh, end of our uh, series on Mark, and every time I come to the end of Mark's gospel, whether I'm reading it or hearing a message about it, I remember a story that I heard years ago of a pastor who was finishing his message, and he asked the congregation, he said, in preparation for next Sunday, please read Mark chapter 17. So the week left, or the week ended, and the next Sunday the pastor's back up and he asked the congregation, who all read Mark chapter 17? Well, half of the congregation raised their hand. And he said, I got some good news, or I got some bad news and good news. The bad news is there is no Mark chapter 17. The good news is we're going to talk about the importance of telling the truth. So every time I get to the end of Mark, I think of that. So I just thought I'd share that to you. So for those of you who thought this series is going to go on and on forever, it's not. Uh, we're coming to the end. Uh, last Sunday, uh, it's been interesting how God's worked out the timing of this. Last Sunday, uh, chapter 14, had the, uh, the Last Supper, which correlated to the first Sunday of the month, so we had communion. Uh, chapter 15, which I'm going to talk about today, is about the crucifixion. And this Friday is Good Friday. And then next Sunday is Easter and Pastor Tim will talk about that. So the timing has worked out uh, very, very well. So today I'm going to talk about Mark 15. I'm just going to walk through the chapter, make a few comments. So if you're polite or if you're so kind, if you could just take notes. And uh, uh, I have some fill-ins for you so you can follow along. Or you can use the paper to write your grocery list when you leave here today. All right, Mark chapter 14 ended with the council of Jewish leaders. They had put Jesus on trial. They had found him guilty or condemned him of blasphemy, which is a charge of being equal to God. And the irony of that is that he was God. And uh, chapter 15 starts off with the Jewish council binding Jesus and taking him to Pilate. And Pilate was the head Roman official in Jerusalem. Now, the Jewish leaders wanted to put Jesus to death. However, only the Romans had the authority to execute anyone. So in order to put Jesus to death, the Jewish leaders had to make up a false charge against Jesus or some kind of charge that violated a Roman law. And they told Pilate that Jesus uh, made himself out to be a king, and the implication was that Jesus was a threat to Roman rule, and therefore the Romans could execute him for treason. Now, Pilate, he questioned the charges of about Jesus. He questioned Jesus, and after his questioning, he, he did not seem to be at all concerned about Jesus as a threat to Roman rule. But Pilate knew that the Jews had, they were envious of Jesus, and Jesus, and he knew that Jesus should be released. But Pilate, being a politician, did not want to make the decision by himself. He did not want to directly go against the Jewish leaders. And at the same time, he wanted to make the crowd happy. And evidently, Pilate had a tradition at the Passover feast, which is the setting of this whole uh, narrative, is to release a prisoner to the Jews, whomever they requested. Now, Pilate was hoping that they were going to request Jesus so that he could get off the hook for making the decision by himself. So when he asked the crowd, who would you want me to release to you, um, they said Barabbas, because the Jewish leaders had stirred up this crowd and demanded that Barabbas be released instead of Jesus. So the first point in your fill-in is never rely upon the crowd to help you decide the right thing to do. 
Never rely upon the crowd to help you to decide the right thing to do. The text says that Pilate gave in to the crowd to prevent a riot from breaking out because the crowd insisted that Barabbas be released. So Pilate released Barabbas and ordered Jesus to be scourged, and they sent him to be crucified. Roman scourging was very brutal. This is what's called a phlegrum. It's a whip-like device. It has several leather strands with small metal balls and sharp pieces of bone at the end. As the strands would strike the back, the buttocks, and the legs of the person being executed, those pieces of bone and metal would sink into the skin and muscle, and it would tear the flesh from the body. And the intent of the scourging was to weaken the victim to the point of near collapse due to the pain and the loss of blood. In the movie, The Passion of the Christ, they did a fairly accurate but gruesome demonstration of what a scourging is. After the scourging, they took Jesus to a place called the Praetorium. And this was a place uh, where the Roman soldiers were stationed. And the text says that the whole Roman cohort was called together. And a cohort consists of about 500 men. And if you look on this, this is the temple area up here. And this, I don't know if you can see it, it's called Antonia's Fortress. They believe that that was the, uh, where the Praetorium was. And I'll give you another angle of it. This is, somebody actually made a replica of the city of Jerusalem. And uh, this is just a model. And you can see the, the temple area. And then this was this fortress-like area. That was where they believe the Praetorium was. So that's where they took Jesus. So there's Jesus in a strange place surrounded by 500 soldiers that were abusing him. They mocked his claim of being a king by putting a purple robe on him. They then took thorny branches from a local shrub and twisted them together to make a crown to put upon his head. Matthew's gospel says that they gave him a reed or a small stick as his royal scepter. But they took that from him and they beat him over the head with it, driving these sharp spikes into his scalp and into his brow. They mocked Jesus and called him, Hail, King of the Jews! And they continued to taunt him by kneeling and bowing before him. The Bible says they spit upon him. If 500 soldiers spit upon Jesus, he would have been soaked in saliva. Then they removed the robe that they had put on him. And the robe most likely attached itself to Jesus' bloody wounds. So when the soldiers removed the robe, it would have painfully reopened all of those wounds. And it says they let him out to be crucified. Jesus was too exhausted to carry his cross because he had not slept the night before. And he was weakened by the loss of blood caused by the scourging. Most scholars think that what Jesus was carrying was just the cross beam, not the whole cross. The cross beam would have weighed about 100 pounds. The whole cross itself would have weighed 300 pounds. Even a healthy, normal man couldn't move that. So they think it was a, the, just the cross beam that he was carrying. And Jesus couldn't even carry that. He was so uh, exhausted. And it says the soldiers ordered a bystander, a man named Simon of Cyrene, uh, to carry his cross. Now Simon had come... To Jerusalem to participate in the Passover. 
And he came from the city of Cyrene, which is on the northern coast of Africa in present-day Libya. So no doubt Simon was tired from his own long journey to Jerusalem. So there he was, minding his own business, when this mob comes by, and he was ordered to carry Jesus' cross. So imagine holding something that, that, or carrying something that was covered in blood, sweat, and saliva. So point number two in your outline is always be ready to get your hands dirty when serving Christ. Always be ready to get your hands dirty when serving Christ. Ministry is messy. I'm sure the people that go down to Kensington with the table ministry are more than aware of this principle. They brought Jesus outside of this Jerusalem city wall to a place called Golgotha, which is the place of a skull. They tried to give him wine mixed with myrrh. Now, this mixture acted or was essentially a mild painkiller, and they offered this to people being executed. The Bible says that Jesus did not take it. Evidently, he chose to have his faculties unimpaired as he endured the full pain of the crucifixion. And at about 9 a.m., they crucified Jesus. And during the crucifixion, the Romans would attach a sign to the person's cross with their name and the charge against them. And Jesus' sign simply read, Jesus, King of the Jews. And again, that was a true statement. And it was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. And with Jesus, they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. But the interesting thing is that robbers is actually a technical term. We think of a robber as a thief, that's a synonym, a robber and a thief. But the first century Jewish historian Josephus used this term and applied it to insurrectionists and revolutionaries. In fact, John's Gospel tells us that Barabbas was a robber. So Barabbas was supposed to be executed with these two other robbers because they were all insurrectionists. So how was someone crucified? They were literally nailed to the wood of a cross. A nail went into each wrist to be able to support the weight of the body. They've done tests with cadavers where they put the nail in the palm and the weight of the body, the nail would pull through the hand and the body would fall off the cross. So it went through the wrist. These nails would sever nerves and send shooting pain and a burning sensation up the arm into the shoulders and neck. The other nails went into the feet, likewise severing and damaging nerves and causing great pain. The crowd that came out to see Jesus uh, was a mixed crowd. And to add to Jesus' misery, these people, the passing, those passing by, the chief priests, the scribes, even the two robbers were verbally abusing Jesus and hurtling abuses and mocking him. And I'm sure that many of you have been the recipient of cruel and hateful words, and I don't need to tell you that they hurt. So the words of the crowd only added to Jesus' misery. So point number three is consider if your words will add to another person's misery. The Bible says that we should be quick to listen and slow to speak, and there's a reason for that. We all have pains that we go through in life. 
And someone can be either deliberate or even thoughtless and say something that can inflict pain to already bad situations. So consider if your words will add to another person's misery. The text tells us that Jesus was on the cross until about 3 p.m. So in total, Jesus was on the cross for six hours. And adding to Jesus' misery was probably the need to publicly relieve himself, either by urinating or defecating. Another horrible aspect of crucifixion was that in order to breathe, Jesus needed to move himself up and down with his legs and his arms in order to move air into and out of his lungs. On the left picture is the body slumped down, that is when the, the air could be drawn in, but the diaphragm is paralyzed, it can't exhale. So in order to exhale, he would have to push with his legs and pull with his arms to pull himself up to relieve the diaphragm so that he could exhale. The medical experts say that the breath that Jesus or someone being crucified would take, they would be shallow, and therefore they would have to do this more often to obtain the necessary amount of air to stay alive. Remember that Jesus' back was ripped to shreds and that the wood of the cross was not like the smooth lumber that you see at Home Depot and Lowe's. So for six long hours, Jesus had to painfully brush his back against the rough wood of the cross just to breathe. And each time he pushed with his legs and pulled with his arms, he was putting added pressure on the nerves that were already pierced by the nails, therefore causing additional pain. The text goes on and tells us in Mark that darkness covered the land from noon until about 3 p.m. It would only be a guess as to what caused that darkness. A solar eclipse only lasts for a few minutes. Was it an extraordinarily thick cloud cover? Was it a distant sandstorm that put dust into the upper atmosphere? Was it something supernatural? We don't know. But darkness covered the land. And at about 3 p.m., Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is translated, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And many scholars think that at this point in time was when God the Father placed upon Jesus all of the sins of the world. A holy God cannot tolerate the presence of sin. Therefore, God the Father had to separate himself from Jesus for the first time ever. And hence the reason for Jesus' words, why have you forsaken me? Those standing around Jesus thought that he was crying out for the prophet Elijah. There was a folklore and Jewish custom that uh, Elijah was kind of like a superhero, that if somebody was doing good deeds but being persecuted, that Elijah, the prophet of old, the Old Testament, would come and rescue them. But in one final act of cruelty, somebody ran and filled a sponge full of sour wine or vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him a drink, saying, let us see whether Elijah will come and take him down. Then Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last breath and died. And when he died, the text says that the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The temple veil was a large curtain that separated the people from the innermost part of the temple, which was called the Holy of Holies. It was the place where the presence of God resided. 
Again, the historian Josephus tells us this is, that this enormous curtain was 60 feet in length. We don't know how wide it was. It's probably the width of the temple. But it was four inches thick. The tearing of the veil was no accident. The tearing of the veil from top to the bottom indicated that it was God who tore the veil. The veil was torn apart to allow access for people to come directly to God. Normally, only once a year would the high priest enter behind this veil. So thanks to Jesus, the sac thanks to his sacrificial death, the priesthood and the temple practices were made obsolete. And after seeing how Jesus died, the centurion who was standing by him came to the conclusion and said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. And that leads me to point number four is, don't wait for a traumatic event to occur in your life before you realize who Jesus is. Many people go out on their own, they get in trouble, and when life becomes overwhelming and after they've suffered a great deal, they then come back to God, and God is more than willing to welcome them back. But save yourself a lot of pain don't wait for a traumatic event to occur in your life before you realize who Jesus is. And after Jesus died, a man named Joseph of Arimathea came to Pilate to ask for his body. And Pilate was surprised that Jesus was dead. Typically, death by crucifixion takes a few days, not hours, days. So Pilate had to check with the centurion to verify that Jesus was dead. And once he got that confirmation, from the centurion, he released the pilot. He released, Pilate released the body to Joseph. And Joseph got a linen cloth, took Jesus down from the cross, from the cross, wrapped him in the cloth, and laid him in a tomb which had been carved out of rock. And with the body inside, a large stone was rolled against the entrance to close the grave. And thankfully, that's not the end of the story. And Pastor Tim will pick up the rest of the narrative next week. But before I close, I wanted to circle back uh, to when Jesus was at the Praetorium with the soldiers. It made me think about the soldiers and what life was like for them. Typically, soldiers on deployment are not very happy. They're away from home. They're in a strange land, surrounded by people that speak a strange language. They were not welcome there, and they always had to be on the alert for some kind of attack or uprising. And Barabbas was one who had participated in an uprising, and he had committed murder, the Bible tells us that. And he probably murdered either a Roman official, a Roman sympathizer, or maybe even a Roman soldier. And I'm sure you've seen movies or TV shows or even heard on the news where if a police officer or a soldier is, is killed, his fellow soldiers or police officers, as they hunt down the perpetrator, are very eager to seek revenge for their fallen brother. No doubt the Roman cohort stationed in Jerusalem had the same mindset and would have been eager to take out their revenge on Barabbas. And no doubt the soldiers would have known who was going to be crucified that day, and they waited for their chance to get their hands on Barabbas. However, due to the political maneuvering of Pilate, Barabbas was released, and Jesus took his place. 
And the fact that Barabbas was released would have only infuriated those soldiers. As if Jesus was already not in a bad situation when he went to the praetorium, he was now in the midst of a group of soldiers who were now more hostile than normal. And their outrage at the release of Barabbas probably only intensified their cruelty and mistreatment of Jesus. Jesus took the blows that were meant for Barabbas, and Jesus took the blows that were meant for us. So if the youth guy members could come forward that I asked, I'm going to pass out something to the audience today. This way, when you leave today, you can't say you did not get something from the service. <laughs> These are not real crucifixion nails. I will tell you, though, that they do sell them on Amazon, and they're $8 a pop. I love you guys, but not that much. <laughs> Jesus' death was not an accident where he happened to be at the wrong place at the wrong time and ended up being crucified. Jesus' death had been a part of God's plan for a long time to pay for the sins of mankind. Thank you guys for passing that out. When it comes to sin, there's no distinction between big sins and little sins. Sin is sin, and the penalty is the same. Sins are all of our evil thoughts, words, and actions. Sins are the things that we've done that we shouldn't have done. And likewise, sins are the things that we didn't do that we should have done. Basically, sin is anything that is contrary to God's perfect nature. Sin is what put Jesus on the cross, and the truth is that we're all sinners. We put Jesus on the cross, and I hope you all realize that all of our sins were like additional thorns in his brow and another nail in his wrist, and Jesus took the nail. He took the nails that were meant for us, and point number five is that this nail was meant for you. But regarding nails and crucifixion and sin and penalty, the Apostle Paul pens this in the Epistle of Colossians. He said, when you were stuck in your old sin-dead life, you were incapable of responding to God. God brought you alive right along with Christ. Think of it. All sins forgiven, the slate wiped clean, that old arrest warrant canceled and nailed to the cross of Christ. All of the charges against us for our sins were nailed to the cross when Jesus was crucified. The debt that we owed for everything that we did wrong was paid for by Jesus. You cannot appreciate Easter unless you understand Good Friday. You cannot appreciate the resurrection unless you understand the crucifixion. You cannot appreciate forgiveness unless you understand the penalty that was required. You cannot appreciate God's grace unless you appreciate God's judgment.
The truth is we all deserve God's wrath. However, God offers us his grace offers us his grace because Jesus paid the penalty that we deserved. There's nothing that any of us can do to pay for our own debt. And to try to pay for your own debt by a good life or giving or sacrifice is like saying to Jesus that what he did on the cross 2,000 years ago was not good enough. And perhaps that is the most ultimate insult that we could ever inflict upon Jesus. So in closing today, I just wanted to share with you something that I learned today which, or in preparing for this message. Um, the Gospel of Mark is the shortest gospel, but, uh, and Mark uses very few names. And I was looking at the name Barabbas, and maybe you knew this, I didn't realize this, but the name Barabbas is a compound word. And the two words are bar, which means son, and abba, which means daddy or father. And it literally, when you put it together, I mean, Barabbas, son of the father. I never knew that. We don't know whatever happened to Barabbas. We don't know what he did with his second chance at life because Jesus took his place. Did Barabbas ever realize who did take his place? If he did, then Barabbas could have been a son of the Father in heaven. So for those of us who place our full faith and trust in Christ and what he did and have humbly received the grace that he offers, knowing that our debt has been canceled forever, we are sons and daughters of the Father in heaven.